person next to you and say, you should love your mama. Amen. Mamas are good. You wouldn't be here without your mama. Amen. But you wouldn't be here without your daddy either. Takes two. <clears throat> and I'll leave it at that. Man and a woman. None of us would be here if we keep going the way we're going today. I just had to throw that in. I'm sorry. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. Just want to make sure. Well, that leads right into a joke. The room was full of pregnant women with their husbands. I should have saved this for Mother's Day. The instruct, this was, matter of fact, this was male sensitivity training, by the way. Okay? So the room was full of pregnant women with their husbands learning how to be sensitive. And the instructor said, ladies, remember that exercise is good for you. Walking is especially beneficial. Strengthens the pelvic muscles and will make delivery that much easier. Just pace yourself, make plenty of stops, and try to stay on a soft surface like a grass or a path. And generally, remember, you're in this together. It wouldn't hurt you to go walking with her. In fact, the shared experience would be good for both of you. The room became very quiet. Men began to make crazy-looking faces in deep thought. They were absorbed by all this information, and after a few moments, a man unknown at the back of the room, slowly raised his hand. Yes, said the instructor. I was wondering if it would be all right if she could carry a bag, a golf bag, while we walk. <laughs> Boo. See, that wouldn't have been good on Mother's Day, would it? That's how men think, though, I guess, right? Dangerous. Open your Bibles to Luke 14. I know we have no men in here like that. You better not be like that, man. We don't teach you that way, amen? Respect your mother, love your wife. Amen. Let's pray this morning, keep in prayer, um, the church in Corinth, you know, everything that's going on over there. You know, we can all be judgmental. We can all say what we want to say, we can, but that's a church. And, uh, we, you know, whether it's true or not, it's detrimental to the kingdom of God and sad regardless and uh we need to just pray for them and you know i pray for his wife and his kids and uh you know there's there's one of the things we do in men's discipleship you can ask the guys i am ridiculously and most people know this overkill on making sure that we're never alone with a woman ever and uh you know that as my policy even in the office and uh, if, if ever any, a woman ever wants to counsel me, I have a, my daughter with me or my wife with me because it's just, that's what the devil's looking for. He's looking whether, you know, whether that happened or not. I know there's audio. I know there's a lot of other stuff to it, and I'm not, that doesn't really matter. I'm not getting into that. But uh, whether it happened or not, you can avoid situations by, by being in numbers. And that goes for men with women, women with, with men, being alone, period. We're in a dangerous and sad day where a lot of crazy stuff is going on. And so, you know, let's take that as a lesson. And let's make sure that we're never in an inappropriate situation where we could be accused of anything. Amen? Just, like I said, no matter whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're older, you're younger, you're a teacher, you're whatever, just always, it's sad you have to be conscious of that. But I remember a long time ago, God was good to me, and, and he spoke to me through a, a man who was using the prophetic word. He told me a long time ago, he, said, he gave me a, 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 one of those spiritual warnings, and I've always heeded to it. And it wasn't that I was doing anything at the time. It was just prevention. And he spoke to me and said, you know, God wants to greatly use you, but you have to make sure that you're never, ever 
alone or put in a position with a woman that you could be accused of. And so since that day, I mean, when I was in Costa Rica, uh, people would ask me for rides and all kinds of stuff, and I just, nope, can't do it, you know, and just because it, just, the, just the look alone is not good. And so as a church, we need to be careful to be appropriate on everything we do. Amen? Luke chapter 14, I want to continue the series on being a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, I know we've got people visiting, and, and, and you know, it's not everybody's in every service, but uh, you'll have to kind of catch on as we go along, because I don't want to go too much into what I've been talking about, other than the fact that uh, Matthew 22 says that uh, Jesus said these words, he said, many are called, but few are chosen. And that's been a verse that's very well known around the, the Christian world, and it's been uh, cited, and people hear it, and know it, and and uh, we, we listen to it, but really what it comes down to say is, you know, people can get confused and say, well, why would he call a bunch of people and then not choose them? Well, it's not that he doesn't choose us, it's that we don't choose him. Many are called, meaning everybody, just, just like Jesus said in John three sixteen, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who? Whosoever could be saved. Today's salvation is for everybody. Amen. And, and Jesus Christ paid the price so that every person in the world today could be saved. Every person in this room could be saved. Not one person is left out of that salvation plan, but not everybody's going to go to heaven. There are going to be people in hell, but they're not going to be people in hell that Jesus rejected. They're going to be people in hell that rejected Jesus. Amen. And so now we get to the place maybe where we're at. Well, we're in church. What are you talking about, Pastor? We haven't really, yeah, we're, here's where we are now. We're in church, but we got to get to a place where we realize where our walk with the Lord is. And we can be very, uh, very busy in our lives, especially in the United States where we live. Busy, 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 busy. That we can get so busy doing something and you can get so in a habit of doing something. And hey, coming to church is a great habit. Amen? Praising and worship is a great habit. Tithing is a great habit. Praying is a great habit. You know, all the things we do, reading the Bible is a great habit. But you can get to where you do those things so much as a habit that you lose the love behind why you and when you do it. Amen? And God is always telling us, and as a matter of fact, he spent most of his time fighting against religion when he was on the earth. He was, he was constantly going to the temple, which was the church of that day. A lot of times when we think of the temple, we think, well, that's Jewish. That was then. When we kind of isolate it from our thought today. But remember, the church hadn't been established yet. The temple was the church. So if he was here today, he would be in our churches and he would be rebuking us. Amen? And he would be telling us that, you know what? Too many of us are, are, are loving the Lord with our, with our minds and with our actions, but we don't love him with our heart. And God is looking this morning for true followers of him, true disciples of him, amen? Not just people who say, well, I believe in Jesus. Did you know that the Bible says, so do the demons? It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. The Bible says, so do the demons, and they tremble. They tremble, amen? And I think that we've got to stay focused and understand that in these last days, the pull is to just, just be at church. Well, I went to church, and I'm good. Well, I read a Bible verse this week, and I'm good. And, well, I, and what we do is we try to meet all these requirements. And again, those things are good. But Jesus would always say, don't, don't do all that and not do it with the right heart. Amen? And so he's constantly rebuking 
Not just correcting, rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were part of a group called the Sanhedrin. And they were the religious people of the day. You've got to understand, today, that would be us. That would be the church. They were very knowledgeable, as Pharisees and Sadducees, of the first five books of the Bible, because you've got to realize that's all that was written at that time. New Testament wasn't written yet. And then the minor and major prophets. They understood all those. They, they, they knew those first five books. They, many of them, by the age of 12, had them recited, memorized. you imagine memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Memorized. Every verse. Stand up and recite the scripture. They knew in their heads all about God. There was a head knowledge that none of us could even get close to. And they knew about God. They knew about what they were supposed to do. They knew how they were supposed to talk. They knew how they were supposed to act. They knew all these things. And that's the picture today of Jesus' church a lot of times is that we know how to act, we know how to talk, but we've missed it by a 12-inch space between our head and our heart. Amen? And how do we know that? Because he walked right in front of them, stood in their midst, and did not recognize him. Now look what Luke chapter 14 says. Jesus is teaching on discipleship. Verse 25. And, and look here again that he's preaching to the multitudes. Now I want you to get this as we go forward and continue on in this series. Is that God is looking. Just look at that verse 25 first. Great multitudes went with him. Okay, and then we're going to read what he said in a second. But he was always preaching to the multitude. This morning, listen, I know you might not like this necessarily, but this is the multitude. Okay. Not everybody in this church service is a disciple this morning. Not everybody in this place is, is where they need to be. Can you say amen? We can get there. That's the challenge. Hopefully we will be. But this is, Jesus was always talking to the multitudes of people. And when he was talking to the multitudes, he would filter out and find his disciples by talking straight to them and getting what we call back in, into their backyards. Getting into their living room, amen? That means that, you know, a lot, what that means is a lot of times we come to church and, and we can kind of pull out our Sunday best and we look good and act good and everything here, but God doesn't really isn't as concerned about what's going on here today as he is as what's going to be going on at your house tonight at 11 o'clock at night or, or Tuesday afternoon at 4, what you're doing. He's more concerned about what you're doing when you're not in your Sunday morning look, Right? Because, man, that, that all over the place, we know it's Sunday. We're supposed to come to church. We're sp- and we've got to get out of that. And so he's preaching to the multitude, but he goes, I want to see who my true followers are. I don't want to just, and the reason they were multitudes is because they knew God was real. We know God's real this morning. That's why we're here. And I really believe the world knows God's real. They're just running from him. They don't want to give things up. They like this world too much. They know God's real. You know that, you know, and you know why I know that? Because the Bible actually said anybody who says there's no God is a fool. So even, even atheism is a fool, amen? Their day just passed at the beginning of April, amen? April Fool's Day. We, they, we forgot to celebrate it, amen? Their day just passed. But we know this morning God is real. But we need to know that he doesn't want us just to believe in him. He wants, to give, wants us to give everything we have to him. Amen? So he says here, as he's talking to the multitudes in 25, look at 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother. Some of y'all are going, whoa, hate? 
I didn't know hate was in the Bible. Jesus said, Jesus wants me to hate somebody. Now here's another sermon where people are going, okay, I like this church, the service too. Amen. I got reason to hate. Some of y'all are going, I already do. No, come on. Amen. It's Mother's Day next week. Hate your mother, hate your father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and look, yes, even your own life cannot be my disciple. I'm just going to let that just, you know, like some, like some uh, marinade on some meat. Just let that simmer in for a second. Amen? That's some tough scripture. Jesus has the multitude there. And he, instead of going, hey, man, it's so good to see you today. Y'all so, look so good. And just instead of buttering them up, he goes, you want to follow me? You got to hate everybody but me. Or you can't be my disciple. Y'all reading the same thing I'm reading, right? I didn't read it wrong, did I? And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now look at these next verses. This is the thing we've been trying to get us to understand is we really need to understand that serving the Lord is not easy. Uh, is there any real men and women in this place this morning? Amen. It, it, the real men and women are women of, men and women of God. Amen. The world will tell you what a real man or woman is, but the Bible says what a real man or woman is. A real man or woman is somebody who loves God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. Amen. How many can say amen to that this morning? That's a real man and a real woman this morning. Somebody who loves God. I want to stir you up this morning, and I want to get you to a place where you love God more. That you're in love with who he is. And that you're willing to give him everything this morning. Not just some things. Because let me tell you something. The more you get into this, the more you're going to see it. This is where the division happens. This is where the true is set apart from the fake. This is where the fans are set apart from the followers. In this series, we've been talking about how a fan is seasonal. A fan likes their team and cheers for their team and puts their colors on and all these things during the season. But once the season's over, they go on to another thing. Amen? Too many Christians are like that. They're, they're seasonal. If everything's good, if I've got some money in my account, if I'm healthy, if my marriage is good at the moment, if I, my car started this morning, if all these things are good, I'm a fan of Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is awesome. He is wonderful. I just love him so much. But don't let the bank go into, into negative. Amen? I don't know if any of you guys have that thing I got to get rid of because it just depresses me when you get an email and your bank tells you you're, uh, you're below your balance. Amen. You need to put some money in there. I don't know if you have those problems, but I still love Jesus when I get those emails. I still love him. I still love the Lord when everything's not going right. A true follower loves Jesus because he first loved me and it doesn't depend on my health. It doesn't depend on my bank account. It doesn't depend on my wife. It doesn't depend on my children. It doesn't depend on the weather. It doesn't depend on the day of the, of the, of the week or the time of the year. Amen. We can't be like these season changing things. The season's changing like crazy. Christians are like that sometimes. Come on. Tell me this weather hadn't been crazy, but I'm in love with it. We're in the first week of May, and there's no AC on in here. I'm a happy camper. Amen. Let it keep on going. I, I don't mind if it stays in the 70s and 80s all summer. I'll be good. Would anybody else be okay with that? 
we never have to turn our AC on again, I'd be happy. Amen. But a lot of times, God's looking at us, because remember, the Bible says in Chronicles that his eyes are going to and fro. He's looking. He's seeing who served me, who loves me. And he's looking around, and I'm thinking sometimes God's got to be like, he doesn't know what to do because, he, because we're like the weather. One day we're hot, and another day we're cold, and another day we're in the middle. Okay, I'm, I'm not talking to, I'm, amen, I'm not talking to us this morning, praise God, amen. That's why he said, I want you to either be hot or I want you to be cold, but don't be in the middle, just choose one side, amen. That's what a true follower is. A true follower is hot. There's no in between. I'm not saying you don't have a bad day or a struggle, but a true follower says, Lord, I'm getting back up from this. I'm gonna fight through this. I love you, Lord. I love you more than anything I have, more than anything I need, more than anything I want. You are really my Lord. So he says in 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it. Whether... Sorry, lest after he's laid the foundation, verse 29, is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know what that means? Jesus is giving us a warning. He's saying, look, I have eternal life for you, but you need to count your costs before you say yes. And, and it's kind of been, I've been kind of telling us as a church that we, as we're, as we're witnessing to people and as we're giving altar calls and as we're preaching the gospel and as people come forward touched by the Holy Spirit to say, I want Jesus, they need to know that they're making the best decision of their life, but they're making the most difficult decision of their life. And we don't really understand that in our culture so much, but in other countries, when people give their lives to Jesus, their families d d leave them. When, if you're in a Muslim country and you choose, choose Jesus, you are going to be per persecuted. And so we have to understand that maybe today at this moment, although we're heading there, church, we're heading in that direction in our country, at this moment, we still don't quite understand this. It doesn't quite mean as much to us because of the Western culture we live in. But in those times where Jesus was speaking, you've got to understand, he's talking these words knowing that in a couple years, he's going to be crucified by them. Do you, do you, do you realize that this morning? Jesus is saying these words, and he's trying to get them to understand how serious the gospel is. How many get that this morning? It's a serious thing. He, 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 he wants, he, and, and you know what? He said, he, God, God was so amazingly balanced in his word. And he always said those great things in there. Great things we can have and the blessings that are coming and, and everything. But did you, did you realize that Jesus did not talk a lot about heaven? He didn't talk about a lot. He talked more about hell. Why? Did he want us to go there? No, that's why he talked about it so much. Because he wanted us to understand that, listen, this road of a Christian believer, a true follower, is a hard road. It's why he said, the road to destruction is wide. It's easy. That's why people come and say, you've heard them say it, man, I was, I was a lot better off before I got saved. Of course, it's a lie, but their mind is, they're looking at how things were. They're not understanding that when they accepted Christ, they died. That's what we need to get. That's, what I, that's where I want our church to be, is I want us to be at a place where we understand we don't live anymore. We're not alive to ourselves anymore. Amen? If God wants to bless us and give us nice things, we thank him for it, but that's not why I'm serving him. 
Did you get that? If he wants to bless me and give me something nice because I love him, I'm going to take it. But that's not why I'm serving him. I'm serving him because he's Lord and King. Amen? And I love him with all my heart. And I'm thankful that he died for me and gave me eternal life. But we're seeing in the word right here, church, that he's saying, hey, I need you to hate this world. Now, come on, we got to be wiser and smarter than to think that God actually wants us to hate our mother and father. That's not what he's saying. It's why you have to take the whole scripture. Take that out of context. Start a doctrine. That's what people will do. But he's saying that I cannot be, will not be, second. Did you get, I cannot be and will not be second. And I said on Wednesday night, not only can he not and will he not, he doesn't even want there to be a second. God first. God first. God number one. We cannot hold, we can't say, God, I'll give you this much, this much, and this much, but this you cannot have. You cannot do that with Jesus. You must give everything to Jesus, and then he gives back to you what he thinks you need. Amen? Right? We give to him. We surrender. We say, Lord, everything I have is yours. He's saying, if you don't hate your mother, you don't hate your father. I mean, if you don't love me more than your father and your mother, if you don't love me more than your wife and children, than your brothers and sisters, and if you don't love me more than your even own life, you are not willing, able sorry, to be my disciple. Now, don't feel bad if that kind of you know, hits you on your chest because we saw people in the Bible walk away from Jesus. Walk away from Jesus and said, this teaching is too hard. Amen? I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you that God wants every bit of your heart. All of it. How many this morning ate cereal? Anybody? I love cereal. I didn't eat any cereal this morning. But I, is there anybody here that loves to like go home at night and eat a bowl of cereal? Okay. Man. Forget steak, forget, man, I love a bowl of cereal. I don't know what it is, man. Give me a bowl of cereal and I'm a happy camper. I'm easy, amen? But milk is really good with cereal, amen? Cereal without milk is not very good, amen? And especially not that powdered stuff. My wife doesn't let us drink the 2% two, two in whole, but we, we, we got some on accident this week and it was really good, amen? It's so much thicker and yummier, amen? We had to do that 1% stuff. But I said that to say this. How many have ever eaten cottage cheese? Any cottage cheese lovers in here? How about, how about going to eat some Mexican food and you have to have some sour cream? I can't do it. I can't eat Mexican food without sour cream. Amen? You notice they don't give it with the food. It's always on the side. How many love to dip your chips in some kind of dip? All right, I said all that to say this. Let's go eat. No, I'm just kidding. Amen. <laughs> You can bring that to the picnic next time we have a picnic. Amen. How many have ever drank Borden milk? Heard the products. Big company. Been around a long time. Let me read you a powerful story before I go on this morning. In 1904, William Borden graduated from Chicago High School as an heir to the Borden family fortune. He was already wealthy. Imagine graduating from high school and being wealthy already. I bet we don't have anybody here that, that did that. And if you did, God bless you. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave his, their 16-year-old son a trip around the world. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, 
he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. William Borden wrote about his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed disbelief that William, listen, was throwing away his life as a missionary. In response, Borden, this is the son and the heir of the milk you drink, wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. I want you to write down in your notes today these, th these three statements. No reserves. I will go ahead and label this, that Jeff, this morning. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. That's what God is looking for from his people this morning. And I'm going to finish reading this story. So he wrote in his Bible, no reserves. Somebody in that nursery needs some milk, amen? Even though young Borden was wealthy, listen, he arrived on the campus. And actually, before I read this, I want you to just, I, I like to put myself in that person's position. As we're, as we're listening to this, the rest of this story, just put yourself back. Some of you got to really use your mind to go back that far, amen? We got Mr. Platt's beautiful parents here this morning, amen, who've been married 50 five years let's give him a hand for that amen what a and you don't even look 55 that your beautiful wife don't you look 57 58 amen you got married young amen so some of it have to go way back to remember when we were 16 but i just want you to maybe you were 17 or 18 you just graduated from high school and you are filthy rich smiles all over the place i'm not getting the same smiles i did when we were talking about hating your mother and father amen so you just graduated from high school and, and now you're done and, and you don't ever have to worry about money. I, I don't even know what that would feel like, but wouldn't it be kind of neat? So he's graduated and now he's going on a graduation trip all around the world. He's going everywhere he wants to go. And he has this in his mind. Remember, money is no object for this man. He could have anything he want, do anything he want, go anywhere he wants. And this is what begins to happen. Even though Borden was wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905, trying to look just like one more freshman. Very quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him. And listen, it wasn't his money. One of them wrote, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ and had really done it. He, we, we who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was as solid as a rock just because of this settled purpose and consecration. I don't know about you, but that's what I want my faith to be. Settled purpose and consecration on the Lord. During his college years, William Borden made an entry in his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. Now remember, this is a man that has no limits financially. The entry said simply, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Say no. What could happen in our lives? What could happen in our lives today and in the world for Jesus, if a church would say no to self every time and yes to Jesus.
You know what I believe this morning? I'm going to go on, I'm going to go on record and say that I believe that at least one person in this place this morning is going to be called into the ministry this morning. At least one person. It may be a young person or an old person. Somebody is going to get, and this is something that has never happened to you before. As you're listening to this message, God is going to knock on your heart and you are going to begin to get a call to say yes to the kingdom of God. And you are not from this day forward ever going to be the same again if it's more than one person I thank the Lord but when I was in my office he said somebody in this place this morning is going to get a call to the ministry and I'm not just saying oh will you go I'm talking about an attitude that says you know what from the day from this day forward I am no longer my own person I am Jesus Christ's possession and I'm going to live for him all the days of my life and I'm going to say no to myself every time and yes to Jesus every time and that is where revival starts and listen church I know what I'm talking about and I'm not saying I've said yes every time but I know what it is to say yes to Jesus I know what it is to say no to myself and I know what the rewards are they're better than any money this world could ever have to offer. Amen? They're better than anything in the world. When you give your life to Jesus, it is like that scripture was talked about at conference. It is the pearl of great price. That man found the pearl of great price and he went, the Bible says, and sold all of his possessions so he could buy the land where he found that pearl. Amen? So he could plant himself. That's the attitude this morning that God is looking for. He's looking for some people that will be radical for him. He's looking for some people that are tired of just the status quo. Listen, it's not for everybody, but there's some people in here this morning who are ready to say yes to Jesus. And I'm telling you, one day when you stand before God, you will be so thankful that you did and listen I understand this morning that not everybody's going to preach not everybody's going to be pastors not everybody's going to be evangelists not everybody's going to be missionaries we need senders can you say amen we need people to continue in their business and make money and send us around the world but whether it's that or it's going or it's staying or whatever it is say yes to Jesus this morning amen say yes to his call this morning say yes to whatever he's putting in your heart you may be the person that says, I'll go physically, or you may be the person that will write a $1,000 check to pay for the gospel. Whatever it is, say yes to Jesus every time. And he says, that's what I wrote down. This is a man that's in Yale University who's filthy rich. I like the way that sounds. Filthy rich. Amen. During his college years, he says that. Then listen, Borden's first disappointment at Yale came when the university president spoke in a convocation about the student's need of having a fixed purpose. At that speech, after that speech, Borden wrote, he neglected to say what our purpose should be and where we should get the ability to persevere and the strength to resist temptations. We need more people like this. See, this isn't, I, I got to stop again. This isn't some homeless person on the side of the road. This is an educated man with a lot of money who understands who Jesus Christ is. Amen? This is not somebody who doesn't understand what it is to have everything what the world would have to offer. Because sometimes that's, our, that's one of our biggest holdbacks is I want this, and I want to finish this, and I want to do that, and I want to have a career, and I want to, we do all these wants, and Jesus says, well, you just get back to me whenever you can, and I'll see if my call is still there for you. Come on. Today's the day you say yes to Jesus.
Amen. I'm, prom- I'm telling you, today's the day you say yes to Jesus. He says, surveying the Yale faculty and much of the student body born. Am I boring you with this story? Okay. Much of the student body lamented what he saw at, at, as, the, as the result of an empty humanistic philosophy, moral weakness, and sin-ruined lives. During his first semester at Yale, Borden started something that would transform campus life. This is interesting to me because I didn't know that Yale University had had a move of God. One of his friends described how it began. This is in 1905. It was well on on in the first term when Bill and I, they're calling him Bill, began to pray together in the morning before breakfast. I cannot say positively whose suggestion it was, but I feel sure it must have originated with William. We had been meeting only a short time when a third student joined us, and soon after a fourth. The time was spent in prayer. After a brief reading of Scripture, Bill was handling the Scripture with, and helping us. He would read the Bible to us and show us something that God had promised and then proceed to claim the promise with assurance. Borden's small prayer meeting group gave birth to a movement that soon spread across the campus. By the end of the first year, 150 freshmen were meeting for a weekly Bible study and prayer. Amen. By the time William Borden, listen, was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in Bible studies. Borden made it his habit to seek out the uncorrectable students, those who were so hard, and try to bring them to salvation. Can we answer the call today, church, to go after those hard people, to go after the the rough people, to go after the hard-hearted people, whether they be rich or poor, whether they be educated or uneducated, clean or dirty? Can we make it an effort to go after the people who need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this morning, amen, and say, Jesus is the answer for you, and the, the poor and the rich need him the same, amen. There'll be no social status in heaven. There'll be believers and unbelievers, those who accept him and those who reject him. He made an effort to go after these people. In his sophomore year, we organized Bible studies in groups and divided up, listen, the class of, three to, of 300 or more. Each man interested, each person interested taking a certain number so that all might, if possible, be reached. Listen to this. The names were gone one by one. And, and the question was asked. William would say, who will take this person? So they're, they're talking about the college campus and they're saying names. And you can imagine with 1,300 students, they probably all knew each other. Amen? And they're saying, okay, so-and-so. Let's go after so-and-so. Who wants so-and-so? And they're making a plan to get these people saved. And we need, we need to make a plan this morning as a church. We need to realize that the reason we're here is so that people will know Jesus. Amen? Everything else is secondary. Amen. We need to get the name of Jesus out to this city. We need to pass those Jesus cards. I just made 10,000 Jesus cards. Get some Jesus cards in your car. Get some Jesus cards in your wallet. Get some Jesus cards in your purse. Get some Jesus cards everywhere you go and pass them out because you don't know who the next Billy Graham is. Amen. You don't know who the next, I forgot his daughter's name. Uh, oh, yeah, Ann's good enough. Amen. Grant and name you don't know who we're going to touch but we need to get those jesus cards out come on 
take, I challenge you today to take some cards with you and begin to pass them out. Amen. Amen. There's an evangelist right there. Got them in his hand right now. Amen. Let's get them out. Let's tell people about Jesus. We're, we're getting some stickers made with our logo so that you can put them on your car. They're nice looking, and people can recognize that and recognize the sign and recognize Jesus. Amen? We need to get the name of Jesus out. This world needs to know. We need to do what they were doing. He says, who will take this person? And he says, he, the, the story says he would look around, and when it came to someone who would be a hard proposition, there would be an, um, 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 a pause. And everybody began to look around. And nobody would want to go. And guess what William Borden would do? Put him down to me. He's the leader. He says, no one else wants him. I'll take him. I'm going to go get that person. Did you know that the Bible says that we're supposed to go out to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in? Amen. Are we doing that, church? Are we doing it as, not, as much as we can? I doubt it. We can, though. I'm not condemning you this morning. I'm trying to challenge you. I'm trying to excite you about nothing being more important than the kingdom of God. It says, put them down to me. So Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus. He cared about widows and orphans and the disabled. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven. He tried to rehabilitate them. He founded the Yale Hope Mission. One of Bill Borden's friends wrote that he often would be found in the lower parts of the city at night on the streets in, 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 near a cheap lodging place or some restaurant where he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, seeking and leading people to Christ. This is a man who could have been sitting in the finest restaurants, being served by the people and paying whatever he wanted for whatever he wanted to eat. But instead, God had gotten a hold of that man's heart at a young age. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know what? The worldly possessions that I have right now cannot compare to the possessions in heaven and the souls that I want to take there. You've got to understand that it is greater to serve God than it is to have anything in this world. There's nothing wrong with having something nice. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car that runs. There's nothing wrong with living in a nice house. Amen. We're not telling you to take a vow of poverty. But God put him first. Put him first. Amen. Put him first this morning. And he will give you the desires of your heart. But if you own anything this morning, you got to be willing to give it back. I've wanted a truck for 39 years. I finally got a truck, but let me tell you something. If he tells me to go get back, sell it this morning and do something, I'll do it right now. That, that truck doesn't own me. How many get what I'm saying? God will give you things if you'll be willing to give him back if you have to. Amen. If he says do something, you do it, and he knows that, he will bless you. He's looking at your heart. This man had a heart of God. And he says, as he's going on, He's finding all these people. I'm going to close up the story. He says, Borden's missionary statement, sorry, call, began to narrow to the Muslim people in China. Once he fixed his eyes on that goal, Borden never wavered. He challenged his classmates to consider missionary service. I don't know if you're getting where he's at. Yale University and Princeton are two of the large, and Harvard are the three largest, most educated, most prestigious universities in the world. And this man's there telling people to go to the mission field. 
They're supposed to be building their careers. That dude was out of his mind. I think Jesus is looking for some out of their mind people this morning. I'm telling you, this message is going to transform your life. This message is going to transform our church. Because some people are going to begin to answer the call of God on their lives. And it will happen in small areas too, not just going to the missionary field. How about going across the street and inviting your neighbor to church? So he's, he's let me find where I'm at. One of, he's challenging his mission, uh, classmates to consider missionary service. One of them said he certainly was one of the strongest characters I've ever known. He put his backbone into the rest of us at college. There was a real iron in him. I always felt he had the stuff of martyrs and the heroic missionaries of more modern times. Now, this is the closing. He says, although he was a millionaire at 16 years old, Bill seemed to realize always that he must be about his father's business and was not wasting his time in the pursuit of amusement. If this doesn't convict us this morning, amen, what will? And not in a bad way. Although Borden refused to join a fraternity, he did more with his classmates in his senior year than ever before. He presided over the, the huge student missionary conference held at Yale and served as president of the Honor Society Phi Beta Kappa. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. And of course, we understand he didn't even need a job. In his Bible, he wrote the second word I told you to put down. He wrote two more words, no retreats. The first one was no reserves, hold nothing back. The second one was no retreats, don't go back. He writes these down in his Bible. William Borden went to, on to graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China because he was hoping to work with Muslims. He stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Listen to this. Within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. That's not how you expected the story to end, is it? When the news of William's, William Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every major newspaper in the United States. And listen to what they wrote. A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. Was Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in God's perspective. Prior to his death, listen to this, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he wrote the words, no regrets. Musicians, you can come this morning. I didn't even get into my notes because this story consumed me. What a story. What a man. 25 years is all he lived. You know what a lot of us are doing this morning, church? A lot of us are saying, I'll do it when I'm 25. I'll do it when I'm 30. I'll do it later. We're always good at saying, I'll do it later. Aren't we the most procrastinating people in the world? I'll do it later. I'll answer the call later. 
Amen. He didn't know. At tw what if he would have waited to be 25 to start his ministry? The Bible says it's appointed under man once to die, then comes judgment. God knew at 25 his life was going to be over. It was not a waste. He said, I'm not going to waste my life. I'm going to start right now. And he began to touch church. We will never know. God will only know and heaven will only tell how many souls will be in heaven because of William Borden touching 1,000 students at Yale. How many people that maybe never even went to the mission field or preached the gospel but took his challenge and lived their life in their careers as men and women of God and defected others. How many things today might be being financed in the kingdom of God because of the legacy he left? Not through his business, but be through touching someone's life. Can we put a price on a soul? You know how much a soul costs? It's priceless. You know how much your soul costs? It's priceless. It's priceless. You can't put a price on a soul. But there are people God wants you to touch. There are people God wants you to tell about Jesus. Oh, I'm not a millionaire. Oh, I don't go to Yale. Oh, I'm not educated. We are so full of excuses. You know what God needed out of William Borden? He didn't need his money. He didn't need his education. He needed his willingness. His willingness. Some of us in here this morning are saying, man, I, I don't have the talent. I don't have, we're always looking at what we don't have. But what we don't realize is the only thing we need, we have. And that's Jesus. Jesus is all I need. Amen. Jesus is all you need this morning to make a difference. I don't know about you, but man, when I read these stories, and I'm, I promise you today at least I'm not going to do it, makes me want to go back to the mission field. But you know what? The mission field's right here. We're in the mission field. I believe the United States is the greatest mission field in the world today. We need to come back. We need to, our missionaries need to come back to our lost country. That's why I did. Yes, there's need all over the world, but they're sending missionaries all over the world to the United States. We're lost. There's a harvest field right outside these doors. What are we going to do with it? No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. I'm telling you with a, a confidence in my spirit this morning there are some people right here right now we might not see the results immediately but there are some people in this place right now that are making some inter in internal decisions that are going to not only affect this church's life for good it's going to affect the kingdom there are some people saying this morning for too long I've been too selfish for too long, I've thought too much about myself. For too long, I've, I've want, wanted what I've wanted, but something inside of you clicked this morning. Something inside of you turned this morning. And again, I, I want you to get this. Don't think way down the road to the thousand students in Muslim country and China and dying. Think about today. What can you do today for Jesus? You'll never go to the mission field if you can't whip out a Jesus card and hand it to somebody. you got to start somewhere. Revival would come if we would just begin to share our faith about Jesus. God's going to speak to you. 
creative ways to share your faith creative ways to tell people about the Lord but count the cost this morning and realize that no cost Jesus could ever ask you of is greater than the price he paid or greater than the reward he has waiting for us in heaven because you know what we, we read that verse where he says if you don't hate mother, brother, father, sister sister, husband, wife, all those people then you can't be my disciple guess what he said in another part of scripture those who have left those who have given will get their reward and he says not only on this earth but in heaven not only on this earth but in heaven there's a reward in heaven but God also rewards us here by our faithfulness he gives to us he's a good God but let me tell you something don't be a fan this morning step out of being a fan and become a follower say God I can do something for your kingdom let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning all over this place with heads bowed and eyes closed I thank the Lord that his spirit is here right now touching ministering speaking to hearts and it always works that it's usually the people that you least expect that arise up and say oh God if you can use anything you can use my life this morning I need you to light a fire in my soul as we sing that song this morning we need the fire of God to light inside of us we need to be like Jeremiah where it says this is like fire shut up in my bones you realize that when Jeremiah said those words he was on the verge of quitting he had just said in the prior sentence, God, I'm done with these people. I can't tell you how many times I've quit this week. Just kidding. I can't tell you how many times I've quit this morning. Just kidding. We want to quit all the time. People want to quit. Jeremiah wanted to quit. You wanted to quit, but you didn't. You're still here. I'm still standing. Amen. You're still standing. You could have quit a long time ago, but you didn't. You're here. You've made a lot of mistakes, but you're here. You've missed God a bunch of times, but you're here. Don't miss him again. Today is the day, not only of your salvation, but today is the day you say, yes, God. I want to do something for the kingdom of God. I want to make a difference. How many in this place could say, if I died right now, if I passed into eternity, breathed my last breath and had to stand before the living God I'm not 100% sure I'm saved this morning I don't know if I would stand before him as a judge or as a savior 